Hello, my name's Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, it's the Crosby Show as we examine the influence of political strategist Sir Linton Crosby, advisor to David Cameron, Theresa May and latterly Boris Johnson. Australian Crosby, sometimes known as the Wizard of Oz, is credited, if that's the right word, with founding the Dead Cat Strategy, which involves creating a diversion if your favoured candidate is coming under intense pressure. It's a tactic which has arguably defined Boris Johnson's tenure in Downing Street. So frequently has he blundered or been caught out in a lie. Max Colbert has written about this for Byline Times. He'll be joining us shortly. First, though, just a quick reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper. We can report without fear or favour and hold the rich and the powerful to account because our funding comes from ordinary subscribers people like you. There is no corporate interest or millionaire backer telling us what to say. So please subscribe to the Byline Times if you can. Get more details on how to subscribe at our news-breaking website, bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. If you have already subscribed, thank you very much. Hello then to uh, Max Colbert. Hello, Max. Welcome along. You're right. Hello. Yeah, great. Thanks. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about Linton Crosby. Tell us about his background first. Yeah, so Linton Linton Crosby cut his teeth working for the Liberal Party leader, John Howard, in Australia. He is kind of a master of the dark arts in terms of political campaigning. His firm, CT Partners, or CT Group, have pretty much pioneered a lot of the tactics that the Conservatives use now. Um, successfully and, and you know, arguably kind of dirty tricks that will will help swing an election campaign, an election or referendum campaign. And a lot of the kind of tactics used in Australia have then been kind of supplemented over to the UK. Yeah, we'll talk about those in a bit, but it, it, it's not just him, is he? I mean, he's, he's part of a group. There's the, the CT group that he founded along with his partner, Mark Textor. And some of the people that we're going to hear about in this podcast are people associated with Crosby this isn't just about Linton Crosby himself absolutely yeah no this isn't this isn't um, just about Crosby by any stretch of the imagination it's it's he he co-founded this firm but various proteges of Crosby have and continue to work with the Conservatives so you have people like uh, David Kenzini Mark Fulbrook who has now gone on to form his own firm but he um he was advising Nadim Saharway and has now moved to Truss's camp. And it was recently reported that Fulbrook would be, or potentially anyway, in line for a position as a chief of staff to Liz Truss, should she become a leader. Isaac Levado, who worked on the 2019 campaign for Boris Johnson and then with um, Lee Kane and Dominic Cummings. So there's lots of different people kind of in the orbit of the CT collective, the CT group or CT partners. Yeah, and I mentioned that he worked previously with David Cameron and Theresa May. That suggests to me that he's not kind of a, a narrow ideologue because there's quite a, a distance between Cameron's politics and Theresa May's politics and then Boris Johnson's politics, but clearly a, a man who leans to the right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It's generally considered that he will do anything to help a Conservative Party victory, no matter who the candidate is. In my article, I kind of mentioned previous reporting that 
he'd kind of fallen, not fallen out of favour, but it, it, things between him and Johnson had cooled for a while there at the beginning of his tenure uh, following the 2019 victory because of issues between him and other kind of influential figures around Boris Johnson, specifically Dominic Cummings or, or, or uh, Carrie Simmons. And it was only really when the kind of Partygate scandal began to start swirling around Johnson that he was brought back into the fold every day or two, having phone calls with the PM and then being brought into the meetings, usually via Zoom or something like that. But yeah, he he's advised Cameron May and now Johnson. And it's it's very much just a, part, a, sort of a big part of a conservative campaigning machine, as opposed to being more specifically focused on like just Johnson's brand of politics is if anything there's similar themes that will have influenced all of these campaigning tactics of all of these things that you can kind of see emerging throughout and that's kind of the influence of not not just ct group that you know there, there are other groups too but that's kind of how their influence works is they're really really good at campaigning but they aren't the kind of people that will run a government like you know dominic cummings tried to do <laughs> in terms of these <laughs> tactics then and, and the so-called dark arts i mentioned the dead cat strategy uh, probably no prime minister has found it more useful than boris johnson to have the dead cat strategy at hand how is crosby thought to have originated that this really interesting article from 2013 written by boris johnson actually in the telegraph he describes it perfectly and it's it's that I don't mean that people will be outraged or alarmed or disgusted. That is true, but irrelevant. The key point, he says, is that my Australian friend, which would be Crosby, is that everyone will shout, geez, mate, there's a dead cat on the table. And they'll be talking about this metaphorical dead cat as opposed to this other issue that's been causing you grief. So Partygate is a good example of that. Just about the same time that Crosby was brought back in, or, you know, rumoured to be back around Downing Street or Westminster, that was around the time that Johnson accused Keir Starmer of failing to prosecute Jimmy Savile while Partygate was at its peak. That dominated the headlines for a while. In the 2015 campaign, which Crosby and Associates were running, Michael Fallon, the then Defence Secretary, the Conservative Defence Secretary, said that Ed Miliband would scrap Trident in a deal with the SNP. This distracted from Labour talking about clamping down on non-doms and tax avoidance. And again, that kind of blew Labour's lead for a while, too. And it doesn't necessarily matter if the, the thing that you're saying is true or not. All it really seeks to do is, is distract. And, you know, Cummings employed a, a similar strategy, too. He would often do things like this, distract the media. And then, you know, while you're pursuing your agenda or allowing your, your client to pursue their agenda. But it's largely considered to have been kind of coined and perfected by Crosby and his associates. And that false story about Keir Starmer and Jimmy Savile, not only does that become the story, but then the pursuit of an apology for making that false claim by Johnson then becomes a secondary story, all the while with the assistance of compliant newspapers, of course, the Partygate scandal conveniently disappears from the front pages. Exactly, yeah. And and and, and, and to be honest, it's not even, um, it, you know, in, in, that, in that period of time alone, it wasn't even Keir Starmer that Johnson had targeted. I mean, he also made comments about Jeremy Corbyn being a, f- a friend of Putin. I can't remember the, the exact phrase he used. But again, that dominated headlines for a while. And this was all around the same kind of period. And, you know, you're saying these things in the House of Commons. And then the story becomes, will, will he or won't he correct the record? And after so many times of not correcting the record, one, people become numb to them. And two, yeah, they, they, they get distracted by these things. 
among the dark arts is the creation of wedge issues. These are divisive issues, I guess, to some extent, the culture wars that we've seen around trans issues, gender neutral toilets, how far the National Trust should go to acknowledging the UK's colonial past and so on. These are these are policies which, whether or not they were specifically designed by Crosby, kind of have the fingerprints of Crosby on them. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, a lot of the Conservative candidates, most of them, in fact, I think pretty much all of them, have obviously used trans issues as a wedge tactic for Labour. There certainly seems to be the, like, like you say, the fingerprints of, of, of Crosby or those within his orbit. I mean, the appointment of David Canzini, who was working with Boris Johnson as his Deputy Chief of Staff, when he was brought in around the period of Operation uh, Save, Save Big Dog, <laughs> you then have this, this kind of suddenly things like the Rwanda scheme comes back into being this, this, this massively prominent thing. And there's an article in The Spectator which says, Johnson's Deputy Chief of Staff, David Canzini, who, who, you know, again, another Crosby protege, is looking ahead at the next general election and has heralded the Rwanda plan as an ideal wedge issue. Now, it doesn't matter that the Rwanda plan the initial flight didn't go ahead because then you can use you can then appeal to your base by saying well actually this is the fault of lefty lawyers so you've you've created the wedge with yeah like things like immigration taxes trans rights you know things for your opposition to argue about and debate over and, and kind of pick themselves apart over while you you know your side is pretty much aligned on most of these issues there are there isn't really much disagreement from any of the conservatives on most of these things at its core. Rwanda is a perfect thing because, you know, if, if, if it went ahead, great, that appeases the base voters. And if not, you can again play to your base by playing lefty lawyers, which obviously, you know, is not a thing that exists. Lawyers are just lawyers. And that then brings into play the idea of the dog whistle, saying words or phrases or having policies which are designed to appeal to a particular group within your base whose meaning may not be apparent to the general population. So that in the Rwanda case, for example, the idea is that you will send out the message without actually saying it Uh to your base that we are anti-immigration and we are particularly anti-immigration of black people. So you don't actually say that to your base, but that's what will be intuited by the people who have become your natural supporters. Absolutely. That's 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 entirely correct. I mean, you have, you know, you obviously, you know, you, you wouldn't come out and say that in a campaign. So something you could say that will be understood by your base would be control our borders or control immigration. These are things that sound reasonable to the kind of casual or perhaps neutral voter. You know, when you say get the economy in check or control our borders or it, it's something that a lot of people will ostensibly think is is reasonable, but that isn't what's actually being said. It kind of goes part and parcel with another of these kind of dark art tactics, which is knowing who to target and when. So with your base, the people that you know are going to vote for you, you appease them. With neutral voters or swing voters, especially in marginal seats, you see if you can convince them. You, you do things, I mean, obviously vote leave and, and Cambridge Analytica tried this and did this very, very successfully. But also Crosby and his associates in 2015 did the same thing. They spent um, over £1.2 million on Facebook ads. And again, in, in you know 2019, you have this kind of like targeting of you know use of social media as well with when they subcontracted Top and Guering. 
in the 2015 election, they understood that female UKIP voters would be on issues of the economy likely to be able to be micro-targeted, you, you know, using social media tactics as being potential swing voters to the Conservatives, and that worked. So you can say things like controlling our borders or, or, or you know, whatever else, and, you can, and if you find a message that plays with these people that can be convinced, and this is a tried and tested, you know, tested tactic, it can then be deployed on people who are potentially swing voters. There is a third group of people too, the Crosby playbook is actually very simple here. It, the third group is people who will never vote for you anyway, like, you know, staunch Labour voters, for example. And his approach there is ignore them completely. Don't even try. It's very specific micro-targeting and it works incredibly well. It worked in 2015 and it worked in the in the referendum too. And you mentioned Topham Gehring, that's Sean Topham and Ben Gehring. These are more apprentices of the sorcerer, if you like, uh, all apprentices of Crosby's firm. And they were given a £3 million contract to work with the Cabinet Office during the pandemic. Yes, so they won pretty big in the pandemic after working successfully on the campaign. And as was mentioned, you know, in Emily Matlis's speech recently, the changing of the Conservative Party Twitter account name to Fact Check UK. They were subcontracted by CT and working under Isaac Levado, who again, you know, at that point was CT. And they were the kind of the social media whiz kids. So they did that and then used this Fact Check account to ostensibly appear as neutral and attack various policies or statements put out by Corbyn's camp and this was then used to you know to smear him and to the point where Twitter had to come basically come down and then say you know any further infractions will lead to severe repercussions on this you can't just mislead people and I think there was a disclaimer on their actual Twitter page but if you're thinking about retweets people won't go to the Twitter page of everything they retweet if you're calling something fact check UK it appears as neutral Another thing they were they were they were very talented at was creating really kind of low effort memes that were also you know spread on a big Facebook campaign, a lot of which they run for the Conservatives. Colloquially called boomer memes, things like putting out things in Comic Sans or that were particularly badly presented, not in the style that you would usually see in a political campaign. But actually, this works because whether or not a thing is good or bad is irrelevant, whether or not it gets shared is what's important. So if you've got a load of left wing people saying, you know, deriding these stupid memes as being rubbish and, you know, what are the Conservative Party doing? Well, they're still retweeting it. And so the people are still seeing it. It's an incredibly effective strategy. It's, it's, it's very clever. Yeah. And if stuff doesn't look polished and doesn't look slick, it may be shared because people think it's ordinary people like them who who've created these memes rather than a, a very sophisticated political machine. Yeah, it's certainly the appearance of a grassroots aspect. And, you know, these people, people like Mark Fulbrook and, and Linton Crosby cut their teeth. You know, they've run grassroots ca campaigns before. They know how to how to replicate them and how to, to make things seem a certain way. I mean, they are definitely experts at, at, at campaigning. They, they, they know the electorate and they know what will play and how. If you flip norms on their head and people aren't expecting it, then yeah, absolutely, it will usually work. And very lucrative. I think you quote that CTF Partners, part of uh, this CT group, was paid £2.4 million for working on the Conservative election campaign under David Cameron. Of course, he subsequently had to resign after losing the EU referendum. 
But Linton Crosby got his reward as well as his financial one. Yeah, he got knighthood. Yeah, yeah, he was um, <laughs> richly rewarded for it, as, as Jess Phillips at the time said. It's very lucrative for them, and it's another kind of part and parcel thing. The appointment of the knighthood was considered shocking at the time, but this, this again, is, is something that the Conservatives love to do. They love to reward their friends. And actually, perhaps the most important and worrying thing that CT Group have been behind most recently, again, it involves honours and the honour system in the House of Lords. So ITV, I think it was reported first that a draft paper that was supposed to be meant for a think tank was leaked to them, something called Project Homer, which was about a plan to stack the House of Lords with up to 50 Conservative peers, which basically would swing the entire balance of the House in favour of the Conservatives, but, you know, pretty heavily. And it would have stopped a lot of the kind of watering down of some of the more contentious bills that Boris Johnson wanted to pass. It would have cut that in half, and especially with a majority like Johnson had, it would have given him kind of carte blanche to do whatever. There was a provision in this bill that one of the rules that these these peers would have to follow is, you know, you, you would be loyal to the Conservative Party. And the provision was that you would then be rewarded by things like certain jobs within government, which is another interesting thing. Yeah, uh, interesting and uh, pretty sinister in its way as well. I mean, Crosby and Johnson's relation goes back a long way. I know that Crosby helped Johnson in both his London mayoral campaign in 2008-2012, as well as the general election victory in 2019. As you say, the relationship cooled a little bit after 2019, but latterly Crosby has been seen again at the Prime Minister's side, or has at least been cited as being close to the Prime Minister again. Yeah, I think he isn't spending, uh, certainly as reports go, he isn't spending too much time in the building, but he is known to be around and you can kind of see the the hand at work. And I think worryingly, people are engaged in this kind of activity and, and specifically people around the orbit of Crosby and CC Group who have you know, very strong allegiances with, the, with uh, the Conservative Party. They're not going anywhere. I mean, well, you mentioned, you, didn't you, this former global projects officer for CT, Mark Fulbrook. He ran Boris Johnson's leadership campaign in 2019. He's now an advisor to Liz Truss. All the signs are that she will become prime minister. And although Fulbrook was involved, it has to be acknowledged in conservative politics before becoming part of the CT group. He has been associated with them. And now it yeah. looks as though he will have a very senior position close to what we, to all intents and purposes anyway looks to be the, the next prime minister absolutely yeah so so fulbrook is one of the people that are rumored to be considered for the for the chief of staff job david Kanzini will also be around helping liz trust should she win which she's likely to do become election ready it is worrying because while people like fulbrook and, and, and crosby aren't necessarily the, the sort of people that would be running government day to day. If you're focusing these individuals on winning elections, that is what they are good at. That is what they are incredibly effective at. And their, their track record proves that. I mean, members of the of, of this group have had some setbacks. They've worked on Zach Goldsmith's failed campaign. But generally speaking, you know, these these, these people are incredibly effective operators. A fair few people within the orbit of this group will still be around whether or not Linton Crosby himself is or, or not.
Mm. Of course, this is important because we have a Conservative government at the moment, but the Labour Party under Tony Blair had Alistair Campbell as his spin doctor, no stranger to the dark arts himself. And isn't the reality that whoever is in power is likely to employ people who will be willing to divide the nation if it suits their interest to do so, who will be willing to blow the dog whistle to encourage their supporters to vote for them, and who will be willing to drop a dead cat on the table in order to distract from difficult issues that they would rather not have to address. Absolutely. I think I think this is a problem, you know, while we talk about the Conservatives and we talk about Boris Johnson or Liz Truss or, or whomever, the problem here is normalisation of these tactics. And you're exactly right. The Conservatives aren't the only ones to do it by any stretch, nor, nor the right wing. But this is this is language and these are tactics that are being normalised. I mean, I think there was even an interview with Wes Streeting recently, as, as, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, where he employed a Crosby term, or at least a term famously used by Crosby, which is scraping the barnacles off the boat, which basically means getting rid of any kind of extraneous policies and just focusing on, you know, again, things that will appeal to your core base. And that's just something that's known, you know, been known for a long time that the CT collective will, or, or Crosby himself uses, you know, stripping stripping things down to its bare minimum and refocusing your your base. And you've, you've now got like a, a, a Labour MP kind of using the same rhetoric too. And I think during the 2015 campaign, there was um, a kind of rival of Lyndon Crosby working for Ed Miliband. So these things aren't unique. But I think when it comes to, you know, yeah, being able to change Twitter accounts to reflect objectivity when in fact they're not, being able to micro-target, which obviously, you know, we've seen can be abused very easily by you know entities like Cambridge Analytica did and, and subsequently became disgraced and defunct over. Any of these kind of tactics on their own is uh, kind of bad enough. But the fact that we've normalised all of this as a way of politically operating campaigns, I think it's incredibly concerning because it's getting harder and harder for people to disseminate fact from fiction. And ultimately what it does is it damages trust in the, the political system and it's going to make the electorate lose even more faith than they already perhaps do in politics and politicians. And I think while these are are very effective campaigning methods, they are ultimately damaging to, to democracy. Max, thanks very much indeed for your time. And you can read Max's article in the Byline Times and at the Byline Times website. If you get the Byline Times, which is a proper old-fashioned and rather good monthly newspaper, take out a subscription to it. You're not only keeping Max in a job, you're keeping me in a job as well because you're helping to support the Byline Times podcast in the process. So please, if you can, take out a subscription to the Byline Times. You get more details at bylinetimes.com. That, incidentally, isn't the best best reason for taking out a subscription the best reason is because it's really good and it'll keep you informed and let you know where there is uh, corruption and malfeasance at the heart of government and other locations of power in this country so as i say do subscribe if you can go to bylinetimes.com that's bylinetimes.com thanks very much indeed to max thank you for listening i'm adrian goldberg i'll see you again soon cheers now bye-bye